Welcome to Tea Talk. All of life flows from the spiritual center of the culture. If this center is healthy, the culture becomes healthy. Tea Talk is a time of intrigue, investigation, insight, and inspiration, enabling you on your life's journey. Invest in your future by gleaning from today's session. Uh, rebuilding uh, paradise. Um, in Genesis chapter one uh, is is of course where God, you know, He created the heavens and the earth. Genesis chapter two is God now begins to uh, work with mankind. He tells him what does He do? He takes man and He puts him in a garden and He tells him to do two things. What was it? Number one was to keep it, and number two was to guard it. Okay. Keeping it carries with it the idea of cultivating what God's already begun. Now, how many of you know, sometimes when we're cultivating things, we have a tendency to destroy the wrong things. When I was a kid, I remember my granddad, he had a huge garden. The garden was probably from that wall, probably twice as long. I mean, he had a huge garden. He grew uh, tomatoes, he grew strawberries, he grew potatoes, he grew carrots and peas and all that kind of stuff. And, and I remember that was his pride and joy. And so one day he was going off to work and he says to me, he said, boy, he said, I want you to go out and hoe the garden today. So I want you to get all the weeds out of there. I said, okay, that sounds good to me, you know, because he pretty well coached me what to do. And so I'm out there, man, and I want to please him. And man, I'm working myself silly out here and just doing everything I can, getting all those weeds out of there, you know, making it look perfect. And man, I come up to this real tall weed and I said, man, you ain't got any business here. And I whacked that thing down, you know. And so, man, I went, I went into grandma. I said, man, I'm all finished. I got, all, got it all taken care of. Grandpa's going to be so proud of me. She said, well, that's good. So he comes home from work. And of course, one of the first places he'd always go was to the refrigerator and then out to the, to the garden. So he comes right in and he goes, Terry. I go, oh, that's a voice I don't like to hear. He said, what did you do today? And I said, well, I did what you told me to do. He said, well, who cut down my deal? <laughs> deal? What's deal look like? He said, it looks like a weed. I said, then it must have been me. He said, come with me, boy. I'm going to show you what deal is. I never have forgotten deal from that time forth, you know. But the whole idea is a lot of times we're chopping down something that is important for the process of working things. We're cutting it out. And when, once that happens, all of a sudden now, we find ourselves on a trail that we wonder, why isn't this working? And so, so God, from time to time, what he does is he comes and he realigns and he resets everything back to its original design. And that's what we're seeing God do during this time. I was just with a group of apostles and prophets in Florida again. And uh, the, one of the ladies got up. She's kind of been the mama of a lot of the prophetic ministry today. And she stood up and she said, I want you to understand something. Tribulation, God has allowed it. God has allowed this tribulation. Why? Because the church would not allow him by the spirit to reset everything. God had to bring pressure on us to get us to move with what he wants done. Now, I know that's contrary to a lot of the faith teaching that we've heard. And God doesn't do those kind of things. 
But I'm telling you what, when we risk, resist God to the point that we think we're God and we can tell him what he can do, guess what? God says, I'll show you really who's in charge. Would you say amen? Yeah, amen. And so, so we need to understand that we're coming into a time where God is, going, is doing some things and he is resetting some things back to its original design. That means it's going to create a lot of pressure and it's also going to reveal a lot of religion that we have picked up over the years and not realizing that we've done it. Okay? And how many of you know, the last thing we want to admit is that we are religious. We think everybody else is religious, but not me, all right? Until God says, okay, let's just see. And so God begins to do some things. And so in Genesis chapter 2, God tells him to what? He tells him to keep it, cultivate the garden. And then he does another thing. He tells him to guard the garden. Now, if I was God, or if I was Adam, excuse me, if I was Adam, I would have said, asked God the question, guard it from what? You know? And uh, But notice God doesn't even go into that explanation of it and, and talk about it at all. All right? And so there was an instruction there. It's the whole idea of spiritual warfare and uh, the whole dynamics that go with it. We are moving into a time when we are going to have to pick up new weapons in order to fight the war that's coming against us. Yes, you see, we've tried to fight it in a political arena when it can only be won in a prophetic, prophetic arena. And we have said that, and what has happened is the enemy has taken the very thing that we thought was the right thing to do. And what has he done? He's used it as a weapon against us. And now we cannot distinguish what is the true prophet and what prophetic and what is the true political. Let me give you an example. When the election took place last year, uh, or yeah, last year, man, I had so many phone calls. I mean, so many phone calls. Well, the prophet said, 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 I don't even know if I believe prophecy anymore. I had some of them tell me that. I said, well, if that's the case. I said, do you read your Bible? And they said, yeah, I read my Bible every day. And I said, okay, then you need to throw it away. They said, well, what are you talking about? And I said, because the Bible is nothing but a book of prophecies. That's what it is. I said, it's not literature. Even though that's the way the communists approach it. I said, it is a prophetic voice. I said, in fact, you have been schooled. How many of how many members sitting under the Bible stories? And you told the Bible stories, you know, David and Goliath, you know, Noah and the flood, things like that. And you never, you only saw it as a story you never saw it as a revelation that came from God for his purposes in the earth. And one of the things that we've got to do coming back to our instruction with people is that they are truly, they are told in a story form, but they are really revelation of the magnitude of God. And that's the reason we can be recipients of revelation even today. And so we need to get a hold of this and understand this, that that we're coming into a time where we're going to see these things begin to take place. Now I want you to write down. Well, let me go to uh, let me go to, to uh, Matthew chapter sixteen, and and you're very familiar with it. I got it written up on on the PowerPoint. It says that uh, Jesus is talking to them, and he says, "Who do men say that I am?" Some say Jeremiah, some say Elijah, some say one of the prophets. But then he asks the questions: Who do you say that I am? And Peter speaks up and he says, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, Flesh and blood has not revealed this unto you, but my Father 
which is in heaven. And he said, upon this rock, I will build my church. I want you to get the word church. I want you to put the word ecclesia. All right. You can even go as far as putting, I will build my family. And the gates of hell will not prevail against us. How many of you know, if you want a family to be united, get an outside enemy. <laughs> See, the problem in America is we have no outside enemies. So what do we do? We devour each other. Why? Because there's something in us that wants to guard and protect and war against something. And so if we don't have the Cold War going on anymore, we don't have an enemy out there anymore, guess what we do? We begin to fight amongst each other. Great tool of the enemy. Okay? And so he says, he says, I will build my church. I will build my ecclesia. I will build my family. And what does he say? The gates of hell shall not prevail against them. Amen. The gates of hell shall not prevail against them. Now, what are the gates of hell? Uh, we can get into some physical things talking about that. But let me give you some things that I think are important. First of all, the gates of hell is the realm of Satan's court, his throne, his power, and his dignity. Okay? So, so the realm of Satan's court, throne, power, and dignity. Also, the gates of hell, it's a place assaults are planned and launched from the gates of hell. See, the enemy doesn't stop. He's got an objective. He's, in fact, he, he designs it in greater measure and drives his people much greater than you and I can uh, understand, okay? So the gates of hell is a place where these assaults are planned out and there, there's, a, there's an assault planned against you. There's an assault planned against your family. There's assault against, uh, planned against this church. There's assault against this community. We gotta understand that he never stops planning these concepts. That's why God told Adam in the garden, he said to keep it and to cultivate it. I mean, cultivate it and to guard it, protect it, okay? All right. The other thing that's interesting is that God, when he created man, he created the concept of warfare already inside of him. See, he created warfare already inside him. So there is an element inside of us that comes against the forces of falsehood. Now, here's another one. The gates of hell. Now listen, this is a key to understanding a region. The gates of hell is the center of the city's message. Okay? The gates of hell is the center of the city's message. Now what do we mean by that? Okay? You find where the people gather the most on a continual basis. That has become the place of idolatry, all right? Uh, it could be religious churches. It could be the football games. It could be the, uh, you know, the taverns here. It could be uh, the, the civil government, the good old boy stuff. It could be and wherever that central message is, that is the place that the gates of hell is coming against. That's why God calls us to take regions, not just to establish a fellowship so we can talk about the things of God. All right? Because that gate of hell will eventually turn against those and that remnant that is walking in God's direction. So, so the gates of hell, it's the center of the city's message. Let me give you an example. 
in our area, when I started pastoring this, and I started research into this, I realized that the center of our message was the Friday night football game. The whole city, I mean, they rolled up the city. They shut down businesses early, and everybody went to the football game. You know, everybody. And I mean, it was big time. And uh, you get caught up into that easily. There's nothing wrong going to football games. But when it becomes the center message of the community, then now that message is greater because everybody's mood was determined by what happened on Friday night. Everybody, whether they went to church on Sunday and worshiped the true and living God, was determined by what happened on Friday night. So we begin to recognize this in the spirit. So we begin to pray. God, shut down that message. Stop that message. Let your voice become greater than that message. So what happens? All of a sudden now, when we started doing that a year later, they never had a winning season since then. You have authorization to shut down that gate of hell where it cannot prevail against the purposes of God in a region. All right, now look at this. The gates of hell also is how they take a city. Now let me give you a picture. All right, let's say that we on the inside here, we're sitting at the gates and on the other side of the, the wall there is the city over here, all right? So if an enemy comes from without and he comes and he starts attacking, guess what? All they do is roll up the gate, the gate door, and they close it out and the enemy has a hard time penetrating, okay? He can't get in. So what does the enemy do? What the enemy does is he doesn't storm directly and attack. What he does is he moves into the city. Hmm. That's what he does. He comes and he sets up camp and he comes and he learns your language and he starts speaking your language. And all of a sudden, because you read the language and not the spirit, you know them after the flesh and not the spirit. Next thing you know, all of a sudden you said, wow, that is a great brother. Wow, that's a great sister. Yeah, that's a great person. On and on and on it goes. But yet there's something that won't check in totally downstairs. And it's your spirit trying to tell you something. There's something that's not right here. Why? Because they're moving in with the intent of destroying and, and, uh, and taking it down. Also, the gates of hell was a military or a post uh, on sometimes on the Roman roads. So we call them toll booths today. Uh, and, and now, next time you go through a toll booth, you don't have to say, well, this is the gate of hell right here. I'm talking about, you know, but that's the idea because on the Roman roads, you had to, uh, you had to pay a tax in order to travel on that particular road, not you stuck to the old dirt roads or the, the old paths or the old trails over here and where it would take you maybe one day to get to a destination. Well, on the old trail, maybe take you a week. And so what would they do? They would tax you as a person. They would tax if you're married, they would tax your axle. They would tax how many hoops are on your horses. They would tax your bridle. They, I mean, they had taxes for everything. Sounds like an American, doesn't it? Moving right along. All right. And so what happens is, is that, that through the, these became known to the Jewish people, they became known as the gates of hell. Because every time they went through, they went through hell to get through that gate. <laughs> all right. Okay. You get the idea. All right. Okay. And so here he says to us, Jesus now understanding the mindset here, he says to them, he says, I will build my church. We have to allow the head of the church back into the church. Amen. See, we've kind of put him on the sidelines over here. 
We've kind of said, you know, whatever you want, Lord, whatever you want to do. And we've got to let the Holy Spirit come back in and administer what he wants done. And we have, we have not done that. We are always doing things for him. We're never doing things because of him. Are you with me? Yeah. See, see, and so he still has a way of doing that. And what has happened in the church today and why the gates of hell are so prevalent today is because we have become drunk on power and anointing. You see, we're so busy trying to drink of the power of the Spirit or the Holy Spirit. We're trying to get more and more and more, and we're not utilizing what we have. So what do we do? We stagger and stumble and fumble and bumble and all that kind of stuff because we are drunk on these things, and we're not fulfilling what God wants us to do. You see? And so what happens when you get drunk on the Spirit? Guess what? The enemy says, I can move in now. I can move in now. See why? Because what is intended to be a great tool for us to achieve what God wants us to do, it becomes the tool of the enemy because we have not used what God has given to us. Are you with me? All right, following along here, okay? So he said, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, I want you to write this down, all right? Okay, I got this this morning when I woke up early at John's place after we put all the trains to bed. And um, I got this this morning. Job chapter five, verse seven says this. Man is born for trouble. Man is born for trouble. All right. Man is born for trouble. I remember the story of John Wesley. John Wesley was traveling through the countryside one time and uh, he got off his horse, went up to a farmer, knocked on the door and he said to the farmer, he said, would you please beat me up? The farmer says, well, Brother, Brother Wesley, I, I wouldn't dare do that, you know. He said, no, no, I need you to beat me up. He goes, why do you want me to beat you up? He said, well, the devil hasn't bothered me in a couple of weeks. I think I'm doing something wrong. <laughs> now, I want you to write this down. Trouble is territory unclaimed. The devil will fight for his territory as much as we should fight for our territory. So trouble is territory unclaimed. All right? Territory unclaimed. Unclaimed territory is waiting to be claimed. Unclaimed territory is waiting to be claimed. Okay? Claimed territory must be sustained. Okay, let me read all so where we are so far. Trouble is territory unclaimed. Unclaimed territory is waiting to be claimed. Claimed territory must be sustained. Sustained territory is where my enemy is disdained. Is disdained. All right. Disdained territory is my place of fame. Are you with me? See, I'm a poet and don't know it. All right. Okay. Look at here. Fame territory must be maintained. Maintained territory 
must be framed. And framed territory reveals his name. All right, so let me read it all to you again, okay? All right. Trouble is territory unclaimed. Unclaimed territory is waiting to be claimed. Claimed territory must be sustained. Sustained territory is where my enemy is disdained. Okay? Disdained territory is my place of fame. In other words, it's not people that know you, it's the powers of darkness that know you. That's where you're famous. Feigned territory must be maintained. Maintained territory must be framed. Remember it says in Hebrews, and by faith God framed the world. All right, okay. Framed territory reveals his name. All right, if you didn't get all that, we'll, we'll look at it after a while. I'll get you the rest of it, okay? But I wanted you to get this because this is where we are, I think, in a lot of things that we're doing in this hour. Now, in rebuilding paradise, uh, in, in Hebrew, excuse me, Genesis chapter three, we see where there is an abdication of paradise. And uh, I'm going to talk some about, but I want to get into some practical things for you to kind of help your paradise that's here. All right? And things. But we got to understand some things that took place in Genesis chapter 3. There's a word there that's interesting. We'll get back into it in just a minute. But when it says Adam and Eve, it says that they succumbed to the serpent or the snake, as the case may be, succumbed to him. And as a result of that, it says, and they discovered they were naked. Several times the word naked is used there over and over. Naked, naked, okay? All right. Now we know, according to the scripture, uh, Paul talks about this, how Satan had come into the serpent. The serpent is always a picture of Satan. I'll talk to you just about him in just a minute. But what we need to understand is the word naked is the Hebrew word aram. Would you say aram? A-R-O-M. All right. And it says that, and, the, and Adam and Eve were naked. And then it says that they knew they were naked and they hid themselves from their nakedness. You see that word over and over again. If you see a, phrase, a context where the word is used again and again, God's trying to say something to us. So what happens again in that particular passage is it says, then it says, after it talks about their nakedness, then it says about the serpent, that the serpent was the most subtle or the most cunning of all the, the, the animals, et cetera, et cetera. And it's interesting because the word cunning or subtle is the same word for nakedness. Aram. 
So here's where, I mean, of course we know about snakes, they weren't clothed or anything, neither was Adam and Eve. So what happens is, is that it can either be nakedness or cunning. So God, about Adam, it says that they knew they were cunning. They knew that they, uh, when they fell, it says they, 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 it was revealed about their nakedness or their cunningness. And it says now about the serpent that he comes and he looks like them. He comes looking like them, exactly like them. That's what I was talking about. Those that move into the fellowship, they move into the community. They don't come saying, well, listen, you see my horns, see my tail. I got a pitchfork in this hand. They come moving in and they look just like you. Now, here's the thing about it. He, he did not lie to the woman. He appealed to the animal instinct into her, in her. Now, listen to this. What does it say? He comes, and we all know the discourse. It says, "It says uh, uh, he says, well, uh, if you eat, you're you're not gonna you're not gonna die." He said, "But if you eat, you're gonna be like God." And so, what does he do? He appeals to her, and he appeals to the desire in her, and he did not deny the fact that God had said what he said. He simply said it this way: God did say that. So what? Do whatever you want to. Do what God created inside of you. Do that passion. Do that desire that you can do those things without God and still have the benefits of it. It's very subtle. Very, very cunning in the way that he presents it. You see, he wasn't debating what she already knew. He wasn't arguing what she already knew. But he said, even though God said it, so what? Do what you really feel is right inside of you. And so it says that when she took well, when she saw the fruit, what did she do? The one thing that was added versus all the others, it says that, and she desired it. All of a sudden now, she was governed by her animal instincts on the inside and not the spirit of the Lord that covered her whole life. Wow. Now here, listen to me. We do the same thing. Yeah. We grow our churches up. Do you desire more power? Do you desire more authority? Do you desire more spirituality? Do you, well, be, we have to be very careful that we are not feeding their spirit, but we're only feeding that animal instinct inside of them. And so when God speaks, so what? Now listen to me. People have gotten prophecies from God. And it confirmed what the Holy Spirit was doing in them. Why aren't they doing it? So what? Same thing that Adam and Eve fell succumb to, same thing that they were trapped in, same thing that they yielded themselves to, guess what? That we do the very same thing when we don't act upon what God has said to us via the Spirit. See, I always ask people this question, how did God and Adam communicate? There was no Bible around those days. It was spirit to spirit, you see. And so we've got to learn once again, man, I mean, whatever we understand of the spirit realm, there's so much more that God has in mind and so much more that he is planning for us. But there is an enemy. Now listen to me. Here's how the Jews see Satan. This is interesting to me. When Satan fell, I'll just give you these. When Satan fell, he, he at one time, he was a friend of God. Now, He's an adversary of God. At one time, he was a citizen of heaven. Now he's an outcast. 
All right. Another time he was a collaborator with God. Now he's a corrupter of things that God puts in place. Another time he was the anointed cherub. Now he is the sinister sifter of all of God's creation. His whole thing shifted. Thank you for joining today in your pursuit of perfection and peace of mind. For more experienced and valuable choices, visit our website, terrylthompson.org. Stay connected for more life-changing and reliable systems of thought and renewal.